This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where we preview and review all the big market and business stories with Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today it's Jeff Halley in Asia Pacific. Good morning from the UK, Jeff. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Uh, good afternoon from a very wet outside uh, today. It's certainly monsoon season here in Asia. Been pretty rainy here as well, but I don't think quite monsoon class. But let's start. It's a new month and a positive start, hopefully, for Europe. Uh, that is what is predicted, I believe. But more mixed trade where you are in Asia Pacific today. Yeah, look, we've got a very busy week ahead. I've been humming chest this morning. This week is the show with everything but your Brunner. There's so much coming out. Um, if we look at Asia today, it, it's really been about China and Japan. So if we look at Japan first, the Nikkei is up 2.5% today after the LDP uh, won the general election uh, for the lower house yesterday, which has uh, cemented Mr. Kishida, the new prime minister's uh, legitimacy, shall we say. And markets have rallied there because he has already signalled that there will be a pretty chunky fiscal stimulus package before the end of the year and so markets have therefore um, posted uh, stronger gains on the stock market in anticipation of that but also we had purchasing managers indexes coming out across Asia today not just in China and Japan's one did very well in fact we've seen a general trend of improvement right across Asia ex-China today so that's left some of those markets in, in, in good stead to start the week. Uh, China itself released official PMIs yesterday. They were softer than expected, uh, particularly manufacturing was in uh, negative territory, uh, below 50. Uh, the Kaizen PMI today came out at 50.6, just in expansionary territory. And I think what we're seeing here are these ongoing supply, uh, uh, power supply crunches really starting to have an impact in China and uh, also uh, the, the uh, supply chain blockages rising material costs, the, the, the shared prosperity uh, program that the government has initiated, all of this put together has seen a slowdown in uh, China's uh, manufacturing and uh, that has sent uh, uh, China stocks uh, lower today, particularly in Hong Kong where a lot of the big Chinese multinationals are listed and that was down 1.5% last time I looked. Of course, last week, uh, Jeff, we saw uh, big earnings for some of the tech companies, Apple, Amazon and so on. Over the weekend, though, we saw leaders of the world's major economies approving a global agreement that will see the profits of large businesses taxed at at least 15%. Um, has that had an impact on the value of those companies' shares who will be affected? No, I think this is well built into the market now. I, in fact, I, I, I struggle to find anybody who really disagrees these days about a more fairer taxation system. So, uh, I mean, this has been telegraphed for a long time. That policy was bought out some time ago. This is the official signing off. So we're not really seeing any impact on equities because of this today. Going back to China, I believe there are still some nervy investors waiting for more news regarding Evergrande. Yeah, look, last week they managed to make two coupon payments uh, on the very last day of the 30-day grace period. But that story had sort of fallen off the, the, the front pages. But I, I think it's going to make a comeback in November. And the main reason for that is that uh, Chinese property companies, not just Evergrande, have over $2 billion worth of 
various coupons and principal repayments on US denominated or offshore denominated debt to make in November. This coming week, we have two units of uh, a unit of Evergrande with two payments to make, totaling about $53 million uh, due by Saturday. That will move into a grace period of 30 days um, if they don't make it. And also, we have two other property companies that are also due to make payments. Next week, we have some much larger outgoing payments from the property sector, uh, totaling at around $1.15 billion. And if there's any defaults on those, I think we could see another uh, wave of negativity sweep China. Somewhat complicated because the China Communist Party Central Committee meets next week. The last thing they usually like for these big meetings is for, for ructions in the market, particularly negative ones. So they may choose to stabilise the equity market by instructing uh, state-associated uh, asset uh, managers to go into the market and buy stocks. But I think um, China itself is set potentially for a pretty tough week ahead and, and into next week as well. Okay, let's look ahead now to the coming days. And, well, here in the UK, Jeff, we've got a big announcement expected from the Bank of England where it's highly likely interest rates will rise. The Federal Reserve as well on Thursday and plenty of other data. It's a huge week, isn't it? Massive week, actually. Uh, we've got the PMIs that have come out in Asia today. A lot of Europe is on holiday today for All Saints Day, but uh, we'll see PMIs out of most of Europe, and I believe the UK tomorrow, uh, that will indicate the, the direction of travel for the European economy. As you said, the FOMC. And then actually on Friday, we have a non-farm payrolls, the US non-farm payrolls, which is always a major liquidity or volatility point for the month as well. So we have some pretty, uh, pretty big data points anyway. FOMC is likely to announce the start of its tapering of its quantitative easing. If we touch on the Bank of England, 15 basis points of hiking is built in by many market pundits. And I think uh, Sterling had recently rallied because of that as well. So I think the danger here is that's quite a crowded trade now. And if the Bank of England doesn't come to the party on the hawkish front, we could see Sterling Co under some severe pressure into the end of the week. We've got Australia tomorrow as well. That one's got very exciting as well. The Reserve Bank of Australia has a 0.1% target yield for its April 2024 benchmark bonds, these three-year government bonds. Those bond yields rose to 0.5%, so five times the target on Friday. And the Reserve Bank has not intervened to buy bonds and drive those yields back today. So the markets are very quickly calibrating themselves tomorrow for potentially quite a big change in the ultra dovish rhetoric from the Reserve Bank of Australia. And I think, you know, when you look at New Zealand, when you look at Russia, when you look at Brazil, lots of banks around the world, they're all very quickly now moving towards winding back this stimulus monetary policy that we saw through the pandemic. In terms of sterling, the dollar and the euro at the moment, where do we stand as far as sterling is concerned? We've already obviously already factored in that uh, rate rise. And as you said, if it didn't happen, it would actually put a lot of pressure on the sterling. Yeah, I think it'll be a short-term uh, sell-off in the sterling for sure. Whether that's an extended sell-off or not, I I'm not quite so sure. If it is, it will probably be because the US dollar is rising, particularly if we have a hawkish FOMC on Thursday. I think markets will very quickly adjust to the next Bank of England meeting if they don't hike on Thursday and say, well, if they haven't done it today, they're definitely doing it at the next one. Of the three currencies, I think the euro is perhaps the most vulnerable, both against sterling and against the uh, US dollar. 
because the ECB has gone to great lengths to dampen down inflationary expectations in the longer term. They, they still think that they'll struggle to maintain 2% in a two or three year timeline. And they're very much on the transitory side of things in the near term, despite all the data in Europe screaming the opposite. Uh, if the European Central Bank is on hold forever and they're continuing to quantitatively ease forever, like Japan, uh, that won't play out well uh, versus the sterling, where they may be moving towards a monetary policy tightening track, or particularly the US dollar, uh, if the FOMC is starting to aggressively wind back, tapering, even if they're not going to raise rates. Uh, when that punch bowl's taken away from the market, there must inevitably be some fallout. And I think part of that will be a higher US dollar. And you mentioned non-farm payroll on Friday, US jobs. What are market expectations this time around? They'll definitely get changed a lot across the course of the week as more data points come in. That's uh, part of the course. At the stage, it's about 400,000. I think potentially, though, we could see a much higher number. The data itself has disappointed over the last few months. Apparently, there are over 10 million empty vacancies for jobs in America. That doesn't really compute with uh, non-farm payrolls only rising by 250 to 300,000 jobs a month. There could be other forces at work, but I think running into the end of the year with the uh, with the governmental support packages running off, uh, we're going to see more Americans back in jobs. Uh, and I, I think there's potential there for a surprise to the upside. If that happens, we're definitely going to see US bond yields move a bit higher as we um, uh, readjust the, the Fed's tightening track. And that should also uh, be theoretically positive for the US dollar. So I think this is quite an important uh, data point this month. Yeah, it is a curious statistic, isn't it, when you see all those job vacancies in the United States and, and here too in the UK, we've got a, a more than a million. And it's it's really about matching the right people for the right jobs and whether they're there or not. Yeah, and I also believe that our household savings are very high. So in the US and the UK, but this is a trend we've seen all around the world, people have saved their money over um, the course of this pandemic because obviously they haven't been going out and spending it. Uh, and I, I believe also if you've been long, obviously, equities or property, then you're feeling a lot richer than you were 18 months ago as well. So household balance sheets are in pretty good shape. There's not this urgency to go out and find a job. And I think right now, because the markets are so tight from the labour front, the proclivity for people to go and just take any old job with perhaps less than ideal terms and conditions and low salaries, it's just not there. So something's going to have to give. Either wages are going to have to start rising and terms are going to have to get better, or labour is going to have to try and take those jobs. But at the moment, the labour market seems fairly comfortable not having to chase those jobs. So this is a very different situation to, say, post the global financial crisis. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Jeff Halley in Asia Pacific, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Have a great week ahead, everybody. This is the Oanda Podcast.